Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist with a deep curiosity about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll quickly mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to treat any medical conditions and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Nicole Avery. Nick is an expert on organisation, especially for families. To this end, she produces a wildly successful blog called Planning with Kids. She also produces a podcast called This Family Life. And her most recent venture is the production of a line of healthy, non-alcoholic drinks, Adapt Drinks. Her mission is to make amazing drinks from adaptogenic herbs to help women adapt to stress, feel better, perform better and live life with calm energy. So doesn't that sound great? During the podcast, Nick will explain to us what adaptogenic herbs are. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today I'm here with Nicole Avery. Hi, Nick. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm well. It's lovely to have you here. So, Nick, I believe that you completed a Bachelor of Business in Finance at university, and then you spent most of your corporate career in a large telecommunications company. After your second child was born, you decided to leave the corporate world and focus on family life. So at the time, was that a difficult decision to make? It was it was a really hard decision to make. And I spent I had with my first child, I took um, I was overly exuberant about how keen I thought I would be wanting to get back to work. And I said, I'll just take three months off work and I'll come back because I was very much saw myself as a corporate girl. And of course, like one moment after having the baby, I thought that's the most stupidest plan I've ever created in my life. Um, so at least second time round, I gave myself 12 months. And we we actually didn't own a house but when we had our first child, but we'd bought a house when we had our second child. And so my husband had sort of said, if you want to go back to work, I'll support that. If you'd like to stay home, I'll support that. So you can make the decision. And that was that was hard because first yeah. time around, well, I didn't have to go back to work. I wanted to buy a home. So that decision really was, I'm, it was more about the finances. Yeah. The second time around, it was really about what do I want to do now? And I had to make a decision. And so I would suggest that it was probably the last four months I agonized of my maternity leave over, do I go back to work or do I stay home? And to make it matters worse, my boss was being really, really accommodating and saying you can work some days from home and you can work some days in the office. And it's just like, okay, well, now, now that's more options. And I think I was really, for me, who'd always identified as someone who was um, good at something and I was, you know, I was actually climbing a corporate ladder. It was like, am I now just dipping out? And what am I going to say I do? And a whole bunch of questions that, really showed probably even in myself I wasn't valuing motherhood as much as I should have and I found it really hard but I knew in my heart what I wanted to do but I was worried about a whole bunch of things that you know at the end of the day were not really important so once I made the decision to commit to my family and to stay home because that was right for us and I was lucky enough to be able to do that because I realized many aren't 
I felt like a, just so much lighter. And it's like I think when you when you whenever you make a decision, often once you know it's the right one, I just felt like a new human. Yeah. Um, but. I still did struggle a little bit with identity because I'd been so used to attaching. And I think this is the problem when we attach our identity to anything that I was used to being able to say who I was by what I did. And of course that changes when, when you're not doing anything as well, what people value in terms of dollar value that really changes when you decide to stay home. Yeah. I struggled with exactly the same issues as you did and and I believe many women do you do lose that sense of identity but as you say you're attaching it to that job rather than you know the value of being a mother which is generally undervalued but so totally yeah agree yeah absolutely agree you stayed home to be with your children but I believe you didn't stop at two how many children do you have no, we have five kids, so um, which was great. Uh, there was a little pause for a bit. So the biggest gap is between number four and number five. So there was a bit of a discussion. I was still keen to move on and my hus- to, to have another child. My husband was thinking maybe four was enough, but um, he did eventually come around. Like I, I, we had to actually not talk about having a child for a while because I would get really upset that he didn't want another one and then he didn't want to see me upset, but he couldn't change his mind because he just didn't want to make me happy. But thankfully he just did all of a sudden one day, we hadn't talked about it for four or five months. And he said, okay, we can try again. And I was like the happiest person ever. So we ended up having five kids. I think um, my eldest was just over 10 when our fifth was born. And so now they're 22, uh, 20, 15 tomorrow. Oh, and a 17 year old and 12. So we've got about uh, 22 to 12 now. And boys, girls, what's the breakdown? Yep, four boys with one girl in the middle who loves and hates that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that will stand her in very good stead, I would imagine. It does, you know, because I don't think anyone could say anything as mean to her as what gets said to her in her own household. So we've never had any um, issues with any of that girl stuff because I think she's very resilient. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure she is brothers, hey? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's all in jest, but you know, girls take uh, things a little bit differently. So she's uh, she's learned how to absorb a lot. Oh, good on her! Yeah, that's great. Nick, you do a lot of things, and one of the things that you do is you produce a blog, which is all about planning and organizing the chaos of family life, and it's called Planning with Kids. So what you try and do with that is um, help people to get organized so that they can focus on the fun bits of family life. And you you blog about things such as menu planning, lunchbox recipes, adjusting to a new stage, say if your last child starts school, for example. Clearly, you're a very organized person and you help others learn how to become organized. Do you think your experience in the corporate world helped you with that skill or have you just always been an organized person I definitely haven't been an organized person at all and I do really think a lot of the stuff that I had to do in the corporate world helped me to get organized at home um, you will see in my bio when I write there I have a love of spreadsheets and I managed to organize a lot with spreadsheets but I think the there was a real clear marker for me um, I think it was pretty much around the time where I decided I was going to stay home full time. That's what I was chosen to do. And I can remember opening the cupboard and looking at to think, what am I going to cook for dinner? And I had a very tired, grumpy, you know, sort of nine month old on the hip and a whiny little toddler in the, you know, on the leg. And it's five o'clock. And I remember thinking to myself, like, 
I don't get this. I used to manage, you know, project manage multi-million dollar projects. Why can't I organize dinner on a timely manner? Like what is wrong with me? And it's just like, it's not a surprise. I have to do dinner seven nights a week. And it's like, well, why don't I just plan it out? And it was sort of like, I don't know why it took me, you know, it's, uh, I guess my, my youngest, my eldest would have been sort of two and a half, sort of closer to three. It took me three years to sort of go, okay, that's a bit of a, a groundbreaking moment for me. And so I started really small, just planning the evening meals. And then I realized that just made such a difference to my life. Like it just made my life so much easier um, that it really then gave me momentum to just put a bit of planning around some other things. And it made a huge difference. And so, you know, because I was, um, you know, I'd done a lot of project analysis and stuff. So spreadsheets were like a native home for me. Uh, I now use Google Sheets a lot more, but back in the day that wasn't Google Sheets wasn't even around. But so, you know, I just started using Excel spreadsheets and I even sort of went to the, as far as like making myself like a little automated menu plan that was in Excel because that was just the next level to, you know, make myself uh, more efficient at it and would split out the ingredients that I needed and that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know if my brain capacity would go back to that in Excel now, but it was um, back in the day when I was in it. Um, I certainly drew on a lot of skills and, you know, it just reminded me that I was capable. I had to sort of almost remind myself, I think, that I had a skill set and a skill set that while I was not managing, you know, million dollar projects, I had some little people who I could manage and work around. And while there's so much in family life you can't control, there is actually the knowns that you do every day. Like you've got to do the washing, you've got to buy the groceries, you've got to clean the house, you've got to cook the meals. That's just all a given. So if you can I found that if I could work out those, sort out those, that when all the other stuff that comes along, like sick kids and grumpy kids and, you know, all the different things that come with families you can't plan for, I had more in reserve to cope with that and to manage that better because there was just like an organised base level for me to work from. Yeah. Nick, what you say about meal planning, it sounds simple, but it makes such an enormous difference. A lot of my friends and I say the worst decision is what to cook for dinner. Like if Absolutely. Cook that, you just do it. It's that scratching your head at five o'clock, oh, what am I going to have for dinner? And if you've already taken that decision away with a plan, it takes away so much stress. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those tasks that, you know, I guess in the corporate world and in, and you know, working life, you batch small tasks that are quite simple, but just repetitive and a little bit boring. And like menu planning is like, I would definitely put it in that category, mm-hmm. but you can batch that task. So like, you know, I got down, I've got to sort of down to a fine art, like um, for the core parts of the year. So for the core busy terms, like this term now for us, I'll menu plan for a month at a time and I can knock that out. I get the kids to put in some input and my husband to put in some input and once they've once I've got that I can menu plan for a month in about 30 odd minutes um have some shopping lists ready to go and then I don't have to think about it and it just you know and people go oh but then you're stuck to going you know three Tuesdays down you're going to be cooking this meal but you really aren't because the great thing about a plan is you can always change a plan but if you don't have a plan you've got nowhere to go. So if I decide that week that something's on the special and I want to do that one at the supermarket, I just change it out. Yeah. And if I decide that night I don't want to cook that, I've still got a whole bunch of ingredients in the house that I've got something to cook and I'm not going to have to run to the supermarket. So planning actually does give me a lot more flexibility than what it sounds like it would do. And it's amazing how much planning and a bit of routine can actually afford you a 
greater deal of flexibility. Yeah, and it frees up time, doesn't it? Because as you totally, you've got the decisions made, you've got the ingredients, you're ready to go. The other thing I like about menu planning from a health point of view is you can have a look and say, okay, well, we've got, we're having fish once a week or, you know, you can make sure it's balanced overall, which is another good thing for, you know, cooking for a family if you want them to be healthy. Oh, I totally agree. Cooking on a weekly basis every night, it can become a bit of a chore, even if you love cooking. Totally. Um, So Nick, I think you've actually answered this question, but I want to sort of spell it out. So do you think that disorganized people can learn to become organized? Yeah, I do. It really is a, 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 you know, for me, it was definitely a learned habit. And like, you know, my sisters in particular, I have three sisters and we all laugh hysterically because I was the most disorganized child. I was the one that made everybody late, um, you know, through uni, lived by pay to pay, all those sorts of ridiculous things and still live pay to pay. And I had a proper job um, until I met my uh, soon to be sort of husband. And, you know, one thing, I think you just need to find your motivation for why do you want to get organized? Because like, what is it that you want out of it? Because you can be organized for organized sake and it doesn't mean anything. But for me, like I have five kids and I actually want to spend time with them. And I want to spend time with my husband because, you know, we like to do things together. So, you know, you can actually, if you've got sort of a goal of why do I want to do this, you can put small steps in place. Like, and you don't start doing everything all at once because that's utterly overwhelming you start I sort of just say you find the one area of family life that's causing the biggest spot fire for you so like often for people it's either dinner time or mornings and if whichever is your one find some sort of planning or systems or routine that's going to help simplify that for you and so for often for people who are having struggle in the morning, it's about getting a good nighttime routine going where you actually set yourself up for the next day mm-hmm. and then you get things organised. And once you get one routine or plan working, you then can then go, okay, that worked. I feel better. I feel calmer. I'm actually not you know, shouting at the kids in the morning to get out the door and where's your shoes and where's this and where's that or you know, rushing to scrape lunchboxes together. Um, yeah, you can just it, – it can build. And it's just like it's like – I see organization as like a home habit. It's just like any habit you can actually, it takes a while and at first it doesn't feel easy and at first it feels like a lot of work. But stick at it for sort of three, four, five weeks and then it just becomes automatic and you don't know you're doing it and it actually makes your life so much easier. And you get that. And you get that reward, which is, you know, that's how the habit loop works. You know, there's a trigger. Okay, it's Monday. I need to do the menu plan for the week or whatever happened days to be. And then you go off and you do the behavior. And then you get that reward in that mealtime's easier. And you just need to know that it won't happen the first week. Stick at it a bit. And then you get that positive feedback loop going and it helps set in um, as an ingrained habit for the home for you. So in your opinion then, developing these habits and planning and being organized, how do they contribute to someone's well-being? I guess specifically, how would they contribute to a mother's well-being? Um, it's really, really interesting because disorganisation for most people causes a lot of stress. Like when you're on your own, so when I was pre-kids and pre-even being really committed, you know, Philip to Phil and I had really got together, being disorganised as I was didn't really cause me any stress because there wasn't really anybody depending upon me. But once you have some dependence, the fact that you've got them people asking things of you or things get missed, it starts to create quite a bit of stress. 
And, you know, it, it really starts to change when you've got those dependents. And it was a really interesting survey I did with my audience back at the start of 2020. So this was before COVID had even launched. And I, because I was getting feedback and emails from my readers about they were feeling stressed. And so I wanted to sort of tap into that and see how people were feeling. And the survey was relatively small, but it was 650 people and 90% of respondents, which were 98% female, um, said they were, fear, they were finding family life like moderately stressful mm. or higher. And when you sort of broke down to what were they finding stressful about family life, it was those organisation elements. So it was like organisation, feeding the family, getting kids organised and household tasks. Things like money, which was there, was only sort of a 6% you know, issue. Relationships was only 9%. Work and family issues was sort of about 20%. The rest of it was all falling down to... Um, different levels of organization and that's because like I think mums also you know put themselves up to a very high level and if they feel like they're letting people down which happens if you're a bit disorganized things get missed you don't get to places on time they find that really stressful and it's sort of that whole balance of your expectation of yourself and the reality and then that sort of causes some stress because you may not be meeting what you want to be yeah and well the good news about that is that something can be done Totally. Isn't you have some control over it, whereas we didn't have control of the pandemic, which I think rose everyone's um, stress levels even higher. You could actually, there were some things that you could do to work that out. I'd like to touch briefly on how you look after your own health and well-being. So I believe you're a keen CrossFitter, which is where you met my sister. In I did. And also you're a runner, and I think you've run at least six marathons. Is that that is totally correct. I did, hilariously enough, I finished up CrossFit at the end of 2019 with the view that 2020 was going to be the year that I was going to try and get close to my marathon PB again. And I was just going to focus on running. And then of course, we all know what happened in 2020. There was no events. Um, But I still do love strength work. Um, CrossFit gave me a great love of strength work. So I still do strength work, but we've got um, a bit of a setup at home so I can do back squat and bench press and deadlifts and stuff at home. So I still, do that um so for me um I probably it's funny I've said I've got fitter with every child that I had because I started to put a bigger um priority on getting that time for myself because um to me um the exercise that I do it's the one thing that I'm doing just for me yeah because when I'm you know stuff for the family um, I'm doing it for the family. And with work, yes, it's for me because I want my business to earn money, but I really give a lot in what I do. Yes. Um, and I really want to help people with what I do. And so what I love about exercise is it's it's solely for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just really nice to have that because, you know, and it's it's one hour out of 24 most days. You know, some on my long run days, obviously it's a bit longer. And then, you know, some days it might be an hour and a half, two hours. But like even still, you're looking at it, it's actually relatively a small proportion of the day when there was a lot of time for it. So what I worked out, you know, I had to plan it in because if you leave it to I'll just do it whenever, whenever never really comes. Never so no, it doesn't. You've got to schedule it in. And um, to me, the benefit of how I feel from exercising makes it worth that time, even if it is a few early mornings. So when you say early mornings, what do you mean? 
Um, it's funny because I've now got a running group I go to a couple of times a week. So depending on where we're running, so I'll go to meet them one day a week. We run at a track, um, the old Olympic Park. If anyone knows Melbourne, there's this uh, funny little Olympic track um, and it's actually sort of more circle. So it's like, you know, a, a standard ass track is like 400 metres. This track's like 500 metres and it's pretty much all corners. But we meet there because it's a free place for us to meet. So for me to get there to meet and do a bit of a warm-up, I'll be up at 5 a.m., if we're going to do a bit more of a threshold session and we're going to go to Albert Park Lake and do it, which is a bit further for me to drive to meet, it'll be a quarter to five start. Um, and even this morning, because I was just going to a local grass track, which was hilarious because it was so wet and foggy this morning, um, and I wanted to get it out of the way before so I could still get home in time to see the kids, I was up at 5 a.m. to do that. So I'd say I'm up at 5 a.m. three to four mornings a week for that. Um, and I'm a, I don't mind it because I'm a morning person, but I did sort of teach myself to do that because originally when I started exercising um, more frequently, it was at night time, and this became a huge point of conflict for my husband and I because he would just give me this text at like quarter to six saying sorry I'm not going to make it home at 6 30 for you to go to your class and then I just like want to lose my mind and so then I just had to say to him when can you guarantee me my time because this is when the kids were younger we've got a lot more flexibility now because I can leave them but when I couldn't leave them he goes to me I can give you the mornings and so that's when I just took the mornings and I actually love it now I wouldn't have it any other way I much prefer it I love I actually quite love seeing the sunrise to me it just gives me even though exercise is tiring it actually gives me energy and I also take strength from exercise as well so it makes me feel stronger and if I'm feeling stronger I just feel more capable in general yeah. and I think I really encourage women to do um you know at not just to go after and go lift massively heavy weights, but I also encourage women not just to run, but to lift some weight as well, because when you're feeling stronger, it does make you feel personally a bit stronger and a bit more capable. And also I think I, I'm a morning exerciser as well, but not 5am. <laughs> I think it sets your day up. Like you feel good. Oh, totally. Apart from uh, exercise contributing to your health and well-being. You've made a few changes over the years to your diet. You confessed, I believe, that you were addicted to Diet Coke. Yep. But now you're a tea lover. So how did you ditch the Diet Coke? How did you make the steps to do that? Oh, and, like, I was full on. So, like, I'm not just talking a can a day. I was, like, four, sometimes five cans of Diet Coke a day, which is actually, when I say, I say that, it makes me go, oh, my gosh, what was I putting into my body? But you can't, you know, I was an, I'm an ex-smoker too. So I did that, you know, way before in my, in my young 20s and um, before I got married. So, you know, I um, once I decide I want to stop something, finally, I am quite good at committing to it. But generally you need a... Um, an impetus and I was doing a challenge at my CrossFit gym and there was to me no um no soft drinks or anything like that you could have tea mm -hmm. and so it was really interesting and I knew it was like I think it was starting in the middle of winter or something and so I had a date to start and I remember chatting to someone and they said to me because I was really really worried about when I gave up the Diet Coke I'd get those caffeine withdrawal headaches because mm -hmm. I tried once before to get it I lasted about three days because I had almost like a migraine from the caffeine withdrawal headaches mm -hmm. and they said that if you try green tea green tea has some caffeine in it it's not overly strong but it's enough to stop the caffeine withdrawals that you get and so I didn't go coldly you know didn't sort of try to gradually bring myself down before I stopped Diet Coke I was like five six a day like basically using up my supplies until I had to start 
and then just went cold turkey, stopped, switched over to the to the green tea, and I've never had a Diet Coke since. So, um, yeah, and it wasn't that I didn't – I've never drank coffee. Um, so caffeine was – Diet Coke was my caffeine source. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only because I don't like the taste of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I don't have anything against coffee. It's not a – health dance or anything like that I just don't like the taste so I just drink mainly I have green tea and a lot of herbal tea now and do you you said you haven't had a diet coke since are you worried that if you had one you'd crave it again or are you just not interested anymore not interested at all um and even when I've sort of smelt I smell it 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 just smells so metally to me and so fake Mm. that I can't imagine actually ever having it just there's just no want at all to have it Oh, Even thinking funny. about the taste, I can still remember it tastes quite metallic-y. Like I can't think, yeah, I can't I remember know. why I think I thought it was so great, but I did, obviously. Mm, it was probably the caffeine. But anyway, totally. <laughs> apart from Diet Coke, you've also cleaned up your diet. So you've ditched all processed food, refined sugar and grains. Why did you decide to do that? And what have you noticed? It's funny, when you sort of look at, I love the whole study of habits and I find that super super interesting and I look back now because I wasn't interested in habit formation back in the days when I made these changes which was like over five years ago um and exercise is often what they call a domino habit that if once you start that it has a really positive impact on a lot of other areas of your life so I had started CrossFit and I was started running a lot because I was working um you know working towards my first marathon and you start to realize that, you know, I'm running a lot and I'm asking a lot of my body, I need to put some good stuff back into it. And, you know, I really need to, you know, be smart about the way I fuel because I need good fuel. Yeah. And so um, I was happy to make the changes and take those out. Like, I, you know, because um, I'd started to do a bit of reading and, and you know, getting more into the, I guess, reading more just a, a, a interest in the health and wellness space, you start to realize that, you know, perhaps this could be better for me. And, you know, I will be the first to say that when I cut it all out, I felt dreadful for about two weeks. Like it was quite hard because, again, I'm sort of, you probably guessed, a bit of an all or nothing person. Yeah. So once I decided that I was going to not eat grains and not do the refined sugar thing, I'm just going to go, okay, that's it, not doing it. And so for the first two weeks, I felt pretty lousy. But because I'd done the reading, I knew that was pretty common. It was my body adjusting to it. But then after that, I started to feel so much better. Like, you know, like I used to have like, you know, a lot of sort of, you know, you know, some irregularities with bowel movements and stuff that all changed, which then that actually made me feel overall a lot better. I didn't get that sort of um, hangover feeling you get when you have too much sugar because I would eat a fair bit of chocolate. Um, And so I just, and then that for me, I work really well when I set that, when I've got boundaries or I set myself boundaries. And so what I sort of did was I just went, okay, so now I don't drink Diet Coke. I don't do refined sugar and I don't do gluten. So they just become my boundaries. So I don't have to, I never have, and I never have like make decisions about, am I going to eat that? Am I going to drink that? Is that something I eat? It's just, if it has sugar and it's gluten, I don't do it. I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't think about it, but I don't have to spend any time making a decision on will I or won't I. Not everyone works like that, but for me personally, that's just a decision now. That's just my line in the sand. That's what I do. And like the puppy might be once or twice a year where I might like at Christmas, I might have a piece of cake that someone's made that I really love, but it's actually a decision I've made 
a day or two in advance. It's not an impulsive decision and it's not a decision that I have to think about. I know Chris is coming up. I'm going to my sister's house in Mildura. Her Italian mother-in-law makes this amazing cake. I'm definitely having that cake at Christmas. So I'll know that's what I'm going to do. So I don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about what I will and won't eat. I know with the sort of foods that I eat and the boundary they fit in. And I love the food that I eat. I make good food. I still have sweet treats, so I don't feel deprived at all. So it works for me. And so, Nick, what I'd like to focus on now for the rest of the interview is your latest venture, and that has been to develop a line of healthy, non-alcoholic drinks called Adapt Drinks. So you've already got a lot on your plate. You blog, you podcast, your marathon training, you've got five children. So what inspired you to add another thing and develop Adapt Drinks? Yeah, I know. Like, that's what we were saying, something else. Um, and it was, I guess, a, a few things. I The work that I do with planning with kids is all really much revolves around me. And what I wanted was something that was more product-based that wasn't me. And so I had this, I wanted to do this for a while. And it was a sort of like, I, you know, went through a process, um, uh, I found a book called Designing Your Life. I can't remember the author's name, but it was really great. And it basically takes you through this process of some different alternate lives you could have based off some interests. And things kept coming around like, a nurturing product like it was like a like it was teas and tinctures and all sorts of things and I really saw a need like I had you know seen people in my own world um, find life really stressful and I was getting feedback from my readers that was really stressful and I guess in Australia we've really got a culture that says you know if you're tired and stressed have a drink if you need to relax have a drink and I had I guess along with, you know, cleaning up my diet and dropping the Diet Coke, I'd also really reduced my alcohol consumption as well. Look, I'm not anti-alcohol at all, but I'd really reduced my alcohol consumption, mainly because it's hard slog running long hours when you're hungover. And yeah. I knew the improvement reducing alcohol had had in my life. And I really wanted something that, and I know the reason why people go for the alcohol, because the initial feeling that it gives you, it, you know, eases the tension. And I sort of thought, if I can make something that was good for you, that didn't necessarily taste like alcohol, but went for what people were looking for, that sort of, ah, the end of, you know, the 5 p.m., 6 p.m. drink and made them feel a little bit more relaxed, that that could be a really useful product. And I could just see that it would be really helpful to people because um, I can just see that there's, you know, you only have to look at the stats of the increasing consumption of alcohol in women and that it is becoming problematic for some. And also it's just that some people don't want to drink alcohol either but would like something at the end of the day that makes them feel yeah. more relaxed. So that was my inspiration for coming up with the idea. And we will talk about how it tastes in a minute. But first of all, I wanted to just mention what your mission is because I love it. You say, to make amazing drinks from adaptogenic herbs to help women adapt to stress, feel better, perform better, and live life with calm energy. Now, doesn't that just sound ideal? Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about adaptogenic herbs. So what, what are adaptogens? And can you tell us, first of all, what exactly they are? Yeah, sure. They're a really particular type of herb um, that help our bodies cope with stresses of modern life. So while there is a tremendous amount of great herbs out there that can be used for a variety of things, um, adaptogenic herbs have to um, have a number of certain properties to be able to be classified as adaptogens. 
And the first one is that they need to be non-toxic at normal doses, so they have to be safe. Even if you want to take them every day for the rest of your life, they need to be safe. Um, they need to support the abilities, um, your body's ability to cope with stress. And most importantly, they have to sort of help the body return to homeostasis. And that it, that means that, you know, if, if you've got high cortisol because you're stressed, it lowers it. And if, you know, if you've got low energy, it sort of helps sort of to, to build it up. So adaptogens, sort of you know uh i guess a a supportive herb and there is probably about 10 of them that really do this quite specifically and they've been used for a long time in traditional medicine and now there's just been a lot of research and a lot of studies being done i guess because people are being more drawn to it now they've sort of seen the benefits from um traditional and um herbal medicine and, uh, and they're starting to make a i guess a real resurgence yeah, there has been quite a lot of scientific research, which has been really promising and, and interesting. And I think you have a link to one of the scientific research articles in on your um, ADAPT website. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. There's actually a couple of really good studies that I've linked to. Um, and it, 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 there's sort of great information out there. And I'm hoping, you know, one day I'd love to be able to sort of do my own study to sort of be able to show the actual impact of what ADAPT does. But, you know, in the, this infancy, um, I'm relying on the studies that are out there at the moment of others because they're, and they're pretty powerful. And how did you come across adaptogenic herbs in the first place? Yeah, well, it's interesting because when I had um, the idea for a drink that could, you know, make people feel better, um, I started sort of looking into that. And then I sort of, you know, in the US, there was already quite a few things on the market. And um, one adaptogenic herb in particular called rhodiola was in this drink called Kin. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. But Kin's like sort of a souped up version of what my drink is in that it has quite a few other um, different sort of chemicals other than just the adaptogenic herb. But basically when I sort of looked at that, then I went off and researched all the ingredients and I said, rhodiola basically took me on, introduced me to the world of adaptogens and then I sort of started to research what some of the others were. And, you know, and then it's, it's interesting because um, my daughter is studying, uh, studying psychology in year 12 and she's doing the general adaptation syndrome, which is what I basically started to find myself fully immersed in when I was looking at it because um, that's the key way that adaptogens work. So the the general adaptation um, syndrome is sort of how your body reacts to stress. And most people sort of know of the whole fight or flight yes. um, sort of response, and that's really a stress response. And there's sort of three phases that you go through. So it's like the alarm phase when something has sort of disrupted your homeostasis. So your body starts to go, okay, something's a bit of a threat here. And, you know, it starts to pump up your heart rate and your adrenal gland releases some cortisol and you get a bit of a boost of adrenaline and an initial boost or increase in energy. And that's where like, you know, the examples of like mums lifting cars off yeah. kids and all that sort of stuff but if you think about it from our primal brain that was like what kicked us in if we had to run away from the tiger or the lion or whatever might be our threat but the funny thing is now in our very modern society where we're really unlikely to be chased by a lion um, our body still takes things on as stress and still reacts the same way so imposing deadlines financial burdens mm. our body sees them all as a stressor and starts to do all those things yeah. it starts to increase our cortisol it starts to bump up our heart rate so that's in that sort of first phase of the alarm stage and then we sort of go into a bit of a reaction phase so our body goes okay this is happening to us now 
what am I going to do about it? So it starts to try to lower the cortisol and starts to sort of bring your heart rate down, but it doesn't bring it all the way down because it's like, I'm on guard here. Is there threat still here? Mm. And what happens is if that stress continues and we start to still feel like there is still a threat, you know, we have still got these deadlines and our kids are causing us this and we've had a fight with our partner. Um, you know, if we have prolonged period of stress, we all, we go into what's known as the exhaustion phase. And that's really when your body pretty much just goes, I've got nothing left to help you here anymore. Like I can't, we're trying, I can't lower that cortisol anymore. And so everything sort of stays elevated. And this is where adaptogens can really sort of basically put in like an extra layer of support. Um, You know, it actually, it sort of doesn't, when the alarm phase goes off, um, it doesn't tend to spike so high. So your cortisol won't jump up so high um, because it's working on your, um, HPA axis and that's sort of that's sort of the part of your brain that responds to stress so it really helps regulate that a lot so adaptogens are like a long-term thing so while you get an additional um, relaxation feel for my drink um, it's mainly from the L-theanine the long-term benefit of the drink is it actually helps you respond to better distress over time so you won't sort of your body won't jack up quite so much it'll come down a little bit quicker and it doesn't stay in that sort of flight or fight phase for quite so long. And then um, ultimately you won't get that complete exhaustion burnout. Exactly. That's right. It really helps prevent that because it's giving you, because your body um, only has a certain amount of cortisol to to go through. So if you're burning all your cortisol through stress, then you get to the end of the day and you are utterly exhausted. But if, you know, if the adaptions are helping you lower the amount of stress that you're burning out, you're not going to get to that really exhausted, I can't get up out of bed this morning, life is too hard to cope sort of feeling. Yeah. So it sounds like it's um, something that can obviously help with the stress response, but I would suggest that doing that as well as some good planning is probably the ultimate way to combat that. Ultimately, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, life life has, the, you know, I guess that's sort of like very much like I said it the earlier, there's a lot of stuff that we can control that can limit the stress. Um, and if we can work on that, that when that you're already in a better place to cope with whatever stress that sort of comes on. So I guess if I look at it from my case, making adapt has actually caused me quite a great deal of stress because there's been a lot of challenges with it. But because my home life is pretty organised, I've got a good routine for um, keep it like with my running and I also do a bit of yoga and I do a bit of meditation. Because I've got that really good base, while it was in some incredibly stressful periods of time, I've not feel burnt out. And that's been a really interesting thing for me um, because there has been a time in my life where I did get to that point where I felt burnt out because I was just, I was, I was training a lot. Yeah. Work was really stressful. I was probably working too many hours for, you know, overcommitted myself slightly. And I did get to that point where I just want to throw my hands up in the air and go, I'm done too much over enough. Um, and so it is really interesting to see the difference in, you know, very similar set of circumstances, but I've coped better not just with adaptogens but because I've had some better strategies in place to help manage stress in terms of meditation and gratitude and a few other things like that as well. The good thing is there's lots that we can do. Let's talk about the actual adaptogens that you've included in your drink and I'll, I might butcher the names here but Shisandra Chinesis, 
It's pretty good. It's also known as Shazanda berry because um, it actually is like a little berry fruit. And the way we um, use these herbs in the drink is we get them basically made into an extract. So they go into liquid form. So that's why the drink itself is really nice and clear and light um, because we've made them into sort of that liquid form. And Shisandra is um, really been um, known to help fight, I guess, in traditional medicine, fight fatigue and promote, I guess, a general sense of well-being. But recent studies are really showing that it's actually super effective for reducing cortisol, which is what we want to do if we're feeling stressed. We want to bring that cortisol level down and also help reduce anxiety. So there's some really good studies coming out that, um, you know, people who have who are already quite anxious uh, has, shows really good results in people who are anxious and then having some additional stress on top as well. Well, that's great. And then you have Panax ginseng. What does yep. that one do? Um, it's really um, quite, uh, I guess, well-known. Um, one of the things you will find Panax ginseng in, if you looked at any sort of um, uh, energy drink, your Red Bulls, um, a lot of the monsters, that sort of stuff, they will actually have it in there as well because it actually is really known for improving mood and cognition. So it makes you sort of feel a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while it doesn't, it's not like caffeine and gives you energy, um, it actually makes you, because you're, you're feeling a bit better in your mood and you've got better cognition, um, you sort of you get that energy boost from actually feeling a bit better in that way. So it's a really great herb. It's really, really flexible. And again, because adaptogens, you know, by nature of their name, they sort of adapt to how your body is responding. Um, And so it has a lot of flexibility. So you find it's one of those herbs that when you know now you know it or you've seen it, you have a look and it's included in a lot of different products actually because it actually is just so well researched and, and known to have such a good effect on improving people's mood and um, cognition. Well that's interesting because I don't drink Red Bull or any of those things. I didn't actually no, my teenagers do <laughs> unfortunately. You've got L theanine. What's that one? Yep. Yeah, it's a super, super interesting ingredient. And the reason why I ended up putting L-theanine in was because I originally had rhodiola in my drink Mm -hmm. and then to make sure the drink was all completely safe for anybody who wanted to take it, I actually sent it off to have um, an assessment from a consultant naturopath and she came back and said that actually doesn't meet food standards. You're not allowed to put that in a drink. And the reason you can't put it in a drink is because it's actually so powerful because it is, it's, it's, it's probably on the most powerful end of adaptogens. So while I would love to include that in there, um, it was not allowed within the food standards. And so I then had to go back and, and hit research again and work out what else could I put in because, um, while the Panax and Shisandra give you that long-term, more more of a long-term stress effect, I wanted something that would have an initial effect when you actually drank it because people, you know, want instant. So if I was to tell you you need to drink Adapt every day for two weeks, you're going to go, well, maybe not. That's just a long haul. So I wanted something that people would drink it and feel a difference instantly. Mm-hmm. And L-theanine basically does that. So it's an amino acid, so it's not a herb like the others. And it... um. It's found in green tea, but other than, or actually all tea, and other than that, it's not found much in anything and it's generally a form of supplementation. And what it allows you to do is to feel a bit relaxed without drowsiness. And again, if you now that you've heard L-theanine, if you start looking at a few other products that are out in the market, there's a great drink called Shine and it has a load of caffeine in it, but it puts L-theanine in it because it pairs them together because they pair quite well because it takes the edge off the caffeine. It doesn't, it gives you that relaxed feel so you don't have the caffeine jitters. Yeah. And yeah, and L-theanine is actually 
it's um, as also being found to reduce a bit of stress and anxiety in some recent studies. And it's really been good. It's also really known to be quite good to help promote sleep. So there's a drink called Driftwell, which has been released by PepsiCo in um, America. And the two key ingredients in that are magnesium and alphenine. And it's a drink you have at night before you go to bed. And it's helped. To, it's called Driftwell, obviously, to help you to drift off to sleep. So one of the bit of feedback I've had from a number of customers is that they've found their sleep's really improved since having Adapt, which has been super interesting. So yeah, it's a great little ingredient and it's like a powder. So while the others are like a liquid extract, L-theanine is an amino acid comes in power form. And then the final adaptogen ingredient is native strawberry gum. And I believe the main reason for this is the flavor and also yeah. potentially the color because it's a beautiful pale pink color. Yeah, no, the, the colour is I use a natural colouring, which okay. actually comes from a red radish and purple carrot, believe it or not. That's oh, where the, the, the natural colouring comes from because when I had my idea, I had this vision and I wanted it to be bubbly, I wanted it to be sparkling and I wanted it to be pink. I just, that was just this vision that I had in my head. And um, so I basically came up with the formulation myself. And then when I made it at home in my home kitchen, because the extracts are a sort of dark brown colour, uh, it was a dark brown colour oh, drink, right. which was completely unappealing to so appealing, any, yeah. anybody. But that's where the art of a beverage maker comes in mm-hmm. and they have some filtration processes that help remove the colour but keep the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they put a little bit of colour in it So the native strawberry gum is there for flavour basis. And I really wanted to use um, native flavours and I have, you know, grand plans and ideas for further native flavours. But uh, we went through a few different ones and the strawberry gum was the one that came out the best in terms of it was a light sweetness but not too sweet because I think I think most adults don't like too sweet drinks and so I wanted it to be sort of a sophisticated taste that didn't really taste too too overly like a, a raspberry or a full-on yeah. strawberry flavor and even though it's called strawberry gum it's a very light mild flavor. What I love about the drink is that it's not sweet so for me it really hits the mark around five o'clock when I feel like a bit of a pick-me-up uh, or something to drink I love having glass of adapt because it, it feels special to me. The, the packaging's gorgeous and it's a sparkling and, as I said, it's not sweet. So it feels like you're giving yourself a little bit of a treat but without all the, um, you know, things associated with treats like sugar and alcohol. So it's the perfect um, scenario. It is. And I guess to, to come back to the, the habit loop, which I talked about before, where you've got the a trigger, you know, the routine and the reward. A number of people have emailed me to say that um, because one of the best ways to change a habit when you're trying to change it is to substitute that behaviour or the routine that you do. And so many people have said they've been able to be able to reduce their alcohol consumption because they've just substituted it and it completely fits their needs. So they've sort of, you know, the trigger is it's five o'clock, they want that drink. They've subbed in and adapt, relax, and they've found that it gives them the same sort of reward that they were after in the first place. And it's made it super easy for them to, you know, and they're still having the drinks on the weekend, but it's been something they want to have just during the weekday um, to have that relaxed feeling and, and have that ritual. Because for a lot of people, 
the drink isn't just the drink it's the ritual of the time of the place that you do it so sometimes you're being able to have a substitute that is a better well I guess there's a whole industry now which is sort of what they call sort of better for you drinks which adapt would be one that you're substituting something in that's better for you and you can keep those other things for you at a different time and so it just makes a nice substitute. So in terms of the production to, to go from a, a concept, like a very serious concept, to the actual production, I imagine that was a huge step. There were lots of steps along the way and I expect you could probably write a whole book on everything you had to do. So how long, Nick, did it take to go from a serious idea to you sort of experimenting in your kitchen to actually rolling the bottles off the production line? The idea sort of came to me and I sort of know when it was because it's funny how you have markers in your life because it was just in the lead up to the last marathon that, marathon that I did, which was um, in August 2019. And as I said to you, I'd been, I'd been toying with this idea of wanting to create a product that was useful, that would suit my audience and that was sort of not so related to me. And and it sort of came to me. And so I sort of had it from August, and it, but I was doing some contract custom contract work so I didn't really have time to work on anything and then I decided not to renew that contract at the end of December so when I came into 2020 I went okay I'm really going to work on this so I pretty much started in the January I think I ordered some ingredients in the December because I had to sort of I was sort of running blind and trying to source small samples and making heaps of mistakes along the way with that and so I sort of ordered some so in the January I really started to have a bit of a play around with it. And then I probably came up and had what I thought was a really decent base of a formula in sort of February. And then I knew it needed improvement as that's when I started looking for, I guess, what you call a beverage partner, someone that has beverage expertise and could do the actual production for me. And I start signed up with them in about March and then, um, because this was a, a big risk um, in terms of starting up and especially because COVID had hit, mm-hmm. um, I decided to test the waters and do a crowdfunding campaign to right. see if I could get it off the ground. And that to me was going to do two things. It would test the market to see if people would want to buy it and then it would give me that big sum of money to fund the first production run. And thankfully, you know, I've put a big audacious goal out there of $20,000 and I was so well supported. It was amazing. It was just, um, it just, yeah, it was so great um, and managed. I, the campaign was only open, I think it was just just a bit over three weeks since I managed to raise that and then um basically was then sort of rolling into production and production has had lots of challenges but um yeah yeah, we got the first run out at the end of the year of 19 of 2020 so um fast given you know the interruptions with COVID and everything I thought you it is, and that's what um, I've got a couple of friends who work in product development. One for um, Coles, and she said we just don't turn around products that fast. She goes, "That's yeah. impressive," and I think that's the f- the fact of being small and nimble that you can sort of do that. Where things have slowed down for me, though, unfortunately, is where things have then become a bit more out of my control, and I've had to get into people's queues and schedules and stuff. And that has slowed this year. Things have gone a lot slower than what I would have liked, and I haven't been able to do as much as I would have liked, but. Again, you're speaking to people, this is startup life. It is a roller coaster and things do take much longer than what you think they were. And I've been used to being working online. So if I want to do something, I do it and then I launch it and I control it. But when you have to wait for lead times for ingredients and lead times for to get into the production schedule and all that sort of stuff, I've had to become a lot more realistic now about how long things take. 
it's obviously was a huge learning curve. So would you say that the process was harder or easier than you'd anticipated? It's been both in two ways. And I was, in terms of um, people, I actually thought it was going to be really hard to get people on board with adaptogens because they are new. Mm-hmm. I sort of see myself at like where kombucha was sort of three or four years ago where yeah. it wasn't really known. And so I always knew there was going to be, have to be a level of education, but people are really warm to it. And I think because the drink works, it's been really quite easy to get that, you know, I'm getting a lot of word of mouth and that's been really, so that part, that side of it's been slightly easier than I thought, Mm -hmm. but the actual production side of things has been harder than what I thought. So, you know, I'm small compared to other people. And so, you know, getting orders in um, has been tricky, you know, and, you know, trying to you have to sort of front run everything. So you've got to pay for everything first. So, you know, thinking about cash flow all the time about this comes in and then, okay, well then there, you know, there goes my wage for the drops, chucking all that back in. And I don't mind doing all of that because I sort of accept it. But um, I have, what I've had to do though, is I've had to really pull back some of the targets because I was getting really frustrated because I like things to keep moving. And it was cool. And that was causing me, it's that, stress like it's the whole goal versus reality that causes the tension and causes that drink (laughs) yes yes no there was literally times where I like I can't drink my own drink because I don't have any to drink um because we were out of production and I've been out of production you know twice off you know out of stock and that's been sort of really really frustrating so what I've found that I've had to do is while I do have a you know I sort of got like a 12-month sort of vision uh, and a a five-year vision the five-year vision is almost more solid than the 12 months because I've got to keep changing that to where I'm at with production and that sort of stuff so I've had to manage myself a lot within that because what I find is I don't work best when I'm frustrated and stressed and angry about things and like I've had to work out do a bit of letting go process and over the next couple of, I've got some things in line that's going to change things and make it better so I'll have a bit more control because I, I sort of worked out this current situation wasn't really working for me. But you don't know it till you're in it. And you also, yeah, and so you, and, and there's a thing too, like you can't just dodge and change every time something goes wrong either. You have to stick at something for a bit and you have to work out, okay, so this production technique's not working so we need to, you know, change it, this run and that sort of stuff. So it's giving me a lesson in patience, which is important and good for my own self-development, I, I, I would consider. Well, I would say we probably never stop learning, do we? So you've obviously had a few setbacks along the way. Can you share with us something that you've learned? Um, I guess the biggest setback I had was the crowdfunding campaign that I put up. I said to people that I would be able to get them their drinks basically by the end of November. And my drinking, ma- my, my beverage manufacturer had said, yep, we can do that production, blah, 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 that'll be great. And we did half of it. And then they basically said to me before Christmas, we're actually, because it got a little bit delayed and I was okay with a little bit of delay. And they basically said to me, um, uh, we've got a big order. We can't do yours until after Christmas now. And I was devastated. I was mm. utterly devastated by that because to me, I've always prided myself on keeping the commitments I give to people and I was devastated like and I just went oh my god and I'd been really open with um the people who the the crowd I use possible as the platform to crowdfund and I've been really open with them and what I worked out is if you build up goodwill people trust you and they support you so 
I didn't have one complaint, even though I was like two months late for some people getting that drink out. And what it showed me was that over the last 10 years, you know, I've given out a lot and I've done a lot for other people that if you are, if you give without the expectation of anything coming back, things do come back. And so it's always worthwhile. Like I try to help as many people along the way as I can. And it was a great lesson because during COVID, my little one and I, he's little, he's not really little, he's like 12 now, but he was 11 then, you know, while probably academically his year six level education wasn't great. He had an, an amazing lesson in like entrepreneurship sitting next to me on my trestle table. And I was really important to show him that, you know, especially with the crowdfunding that was coming in and, you know, people would place an order and I'd say, oh, like, you know, like this is Zoe from Opmove, you know, I've done quite a few um, sort of guest posts for her and promoted her work. You know, she's coming back now and supporting me. And I said, you know, if you put good out there, mate, it happens and you don't do it ever expecting it comes back. But I felt so supported and it really showed me that, and I guess this is like I made the right decision also to um, focusing on women because it was all women that was so, you know, the number of people that, you know, shouted out for me and supported me and then the people didn't criticise or were angry when it was delayed. It was, as while it was stressful for me and I found it really stressful, people were amazingly supportive and I guess that really just, it really left me with such a great feeling about community and people. So um, it was a big learning for me there. Really lovely to hear and as you say, if you give without expecting to receive, you, you might be surprised. And and also the thing you did really well was you kept the communication open and and that built up, as you say, trust. Yeah, and that's the key. Like I didn't just, you know, go because, you know, part of you wants to hide and not go, oh, this has been delayed again because you feel embarrassed and you have all yeah. those feelings of guilt and, oh, I'm letting people down. down. Um, but it was the best thing was just to be open and honest and transparent the whole way through because people people were on a journey for me and I had people email me go, I don't mind at all. You sound really stressed. Are you okay? How are you going? You know, it was really, really lovely. Yeah, and people know you're you're doing something new here. So, of course, there's going to be hiccups along the way, especially throwing COVID into the mix. Yeah, absolutely. I asked Nick about her future plans for Adapt Drinks. She wants to develop some new products like a recovery drink for after exercise and she also had this to say. One of the things that adaptogens, there's some, you know, it's very new research, but it's meant to really help women through that perimenopause, menopause state. So I would like to have a look at that because I think that's a, you know, a really neglected space for women as well. Mm -hmm. And it can help with some of the symptoms that women find most troubling in that perimenopause. So that's still infant days um, in terms of I guess the, the that's called like the fun because adaptive act is called like a functional beverage. So that's yeah. sort of the, the functional aspect that I would like to explore and move down. Well, it sounds like you've got a really some really exciting plans ahead for your adapt drinks. So I can't wait to to follow what you're doing. And if people do want to follow what you're doing or place an order for some adapt drinks, how would they do that? What's the best way? Yeah, just the website. So adaptdrinks.com.au. And I do have an Instagram, so you can follow on that as well. But you can find those links on the website and you can order directly from the website. At the moment, it's all purely coming from, uh, because I've had, you know, some issues with studying supply, mm. it's just been direct to consumer from the website. But um, for the next six months, I'm going to focus on getting it out um, into some other places as well. So hopefully people will be able to buy it in other places other than just from me in the next six months as well. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So watch this space and I'll put links to all of that in the show notes, obviously. So Nick, to wrap up, if you could recommend two things that people could do and they can relate to absolutely anything at all to improve their well-being, what would they be? It sounds really boring, the first one. I, I can tell people will think it's really boring, but I think it's such a fundamental thing to, it's been such a fundamental uh I guess about foundation of my own health and well-being and that's to have a morning routine and I'm not saying that you have to get up at 5am like I do because um you know everyone has their own um sort of sleep cycle on where they work best but having some form of morning routine where you knock off a couple of things that are really important to you and it might be that you exercise it might be that you meditate it might be that you drink some water it could be anything but some form of morning routine that kickstarts your day with purpose and positivity I think just leads into such a better chance. Like you don't, you still can do that and have a bad day, but you're more likely to have a good day if you've kicked your day off with some positivity and purpose. So having some form of morning routine, it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be at a certain time. It could just be a flow of events. So when I get up, I do A, B, C, D, and that gets done all before I then go to work or, or whatever the case happens to be. So that would be the first thing. And the second one would be just to move every day. Like it doesn't have to be high intensity. You don't have to do CrossFit or running. It could be walking. But the really important thing to do is to find something that you like um, that gives you energy back. And moving your body will do that. And, you know, I've only I've seen my dad at the moment, you know, he's had sore back and he's not moving and it just gets worse. So, you know, I think movement every day, whatever form it is, and if you do something that you enjoy, you're way more likely to do it. So find something you enjoy and move, yeah, move every I mean, day. In doing some ways that. it can sound counterintuitive, like, uh, you know, use energy to get more energy, but that's actually the result, isn't it? You just feel energized. Totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on Vibrant Lives podcast today. Nick and I, uh, I, as I said, I love your drink and I'm going to watch that space with great interest. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I love the message you're, you're spreading. I love that you really um, encourage people to take care of their well-being because that's oh, the biggest you. asset that's you have. Nice. So thank you for what you do. Well, that was a nice bit of encouragement from the rather amazing and multi-talented Nicole Avery. I will put links to Nick's website, Planning with Kids, and to her podcast in the show notes, and of course also to her website for Adapt Drinks. And I do encourage you to try the Adapt Relax Drinks and send Nick your feedback. So thank you very much for listening today. I do hope that you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. I certainly did. I feel like Nick has so much to share and so much energy and she manages to get a lot done because of her excellent planning capabilities. If you did enjoy today's podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast and it raises the visibility of my podcast. So I'd be very grateful to anyone who does that. If you'd like to subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast, You can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. And please also follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast. If there's someone you'd like me to interview on Vibrant Lives podcast, please DM me and I'll see what I can do. So thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.